Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Music Centre's Amplified podcast. I'm Laura, and each episode I'll be chatting to a Scottish-based musician and finding out about some of the music that matters most to them. This week I'm chatting to singer-songwriter Carol Lolla. Hello, I am Carol Lawler. I am a singer-songwriter and I'm also a workshop facilitator. I do lots of various types of workshops with various types of audiences and groups. And I imagine that with us being in lockdown over the last few months, that's really affected how you've worked. It has. The Zoom thing is very strange. Uh, The whole glitchy thing does my boxing. Mm-hmm. However, I have managed and I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of work through doing that, you know, through the Music Plus organisation, also within NICOS, just doing a lot of songwriting in workshops. But I've also been delivering, still been able to deliver some training for another mm-hmm. book book, another organisation I work with. So, yes, it's, it's, it's been different and I much prefer the hands-on thing. Um, mm-hmm. As, I, I, I don't know, some people have asked me to perform, do gigs and all that kind of stuff. But a big part of my gigging of Carol Lola gigs is the chat. I would say 80% of it is the chat that I have with the audience. I love it. In yeah. fact, too much chat. You know, I'm supposed to be playing for an hour and a half and it's two and a half hours later. Kind of <laughs> but um, I, I like that. So I don't want to just be sitting in my bedroom playing the guitar. However, the, um, the Zoom thing for delivering workshops or delivering training is slightly different because there is that chance for a discussion which I really really like because I don't think you get that in a gig. No that's true and I think that's the the thing that's been probably most hard about converting to a digital format mm. of doing everything is the loss of connection between people and so much of a performance is reliant on being able to see and hear the audience as well. Yeah, performance-wise, however, on the other side of that, when you're talking about lockdown, it's also been really useful because one of the projects I've been involved with has been working with um, children from disadvantaged areas, whatever whatever the correct term is these days, and uh, it's been really useful for them to have that connection that they wouldn't ordinarily have had, you know, in in lockdown. So it's a double-edged sword, I think. From a performance yeah. point of view, yes, I want to be having that chat. You know, there's a wee thing at the side where you can chat to people, and I'm like, how am I meant to do that? I'm playing the guitar, I'm singing. You know, so that's yeah. been that's yeah. been a, a strange thing. But as I say, on the other side of it, the, the the workshop delivery or the training delivery has been really nice. I think from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there, obviously, there's a lot of different projects that you're involved with, and a lot of that does come down to working with people from lots of different groups and um, one of them you spoke about there was book bug how yes. did you come to be involved in that it's a really great project it's a brilliant project I love it and I'm so grateful to have been involved with it for over 13 years um, mm-hmm. I started off as a trainer working with people running book bug sessions to, to train people to run book bug sessions so obviously I had to do a lot of training in that because my background is rock and roll or pop, what we want to call it, or folk. But um, so I had to do a lot of training in how I might deliver that and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it is so much fun. It's a breeze. Um, and from that, from delivering these, this training and delivering these book bug sessions to 
parents and young children, zero to five, it's a zero to five program. Mm-hmm. Um, they then asked me to be a trainer. So I would then train people to uh, do the, do a whole trench of stuff through Big Bugs. So I'd be training maybe social workers, sub-sector organisations who would be working with maybe foster families or children that have parents in prison and stuff like that. So I'd be training them in the why and wherefore. What's the, what are the benefits of sharing songs and rhymes or even a wee story? What are the, what's the point in that? You know, why would you read the same book 10 times, all that kind of stuff? So I, I've been really fortunate and I've really loved getting all of that information. And I, I, that absolutely feeds into my practice now. Although I'm not um, always training people, but even some of the workshops I'm doing working with zero to five year olds through the Music Plus or Music Ears, um, I'm now delivering to families at home with wee tots, which is just mm-hmm. great fun, but it's also as a consequence of having that learning the book club over the 13 years. It's just been a great gig, I always call it a yeah. gig, but it's, it's been really, really heartwarming. And to see, you actually can see the benefit of having sung that song or shared that rhyme a thousand times and mm-hmm. actually seeing all the all the um what do we call it? all the research and all the understanding of how children learn and actually seeing that in action is just heartwarming brilliant mm-hmm. love it yeah yeah because it's a different kind of spectrum to the audiences that you would be used to working with so it's nice that you kind of have that amazing overview I'm sure a lot of people other people don't have from really tiny tiny people all the way up to the people who would normally come to your gigs and you know see a variety of ways of people interacting with music must be really interesting or or even workshops um Mm -hmm. all the people that come to my workshops but but I remember going for the book bug gig as I say 13 years ago and them say, because it was a zero to five project and I'd always been in working with older groups, mm-hmm. you know, them saying to me, so, you know, what, what age group do you work with? And I was like, I'm happy to work with zero to 92. Mm-hmm. And the woman interviewed me said, mm, what's a shame for the 93 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I got the job and I loved it. It was brilliant. <laughs> so was that something that you thought you would do when you were starting out as a musician that you would work with all these different groups and kind of no. teaching and workshopping? No, when I started out as a musician, I was going to be number one, a pure famous rock star. When <laughs> I started out doing music, I was just going to do that. I was going to be a performer, songwriter, tour the world, all that kind of stuff, which thankfully I got a chance of doing. But as we progress as musicians and we become, uh, we don't become that rock star, we have to find other ways to make a living. I, I could go and have a job in a shop or an office or whatever. I've got the skills to do that kind of thing. But I've also got the skills to share music, which is my heart. You know, it's, it's where my, my heart lies. So I'd much rather do that. And as a consequence, you have to find ways that you can manage to continue that in a way that's worthwhile for you and also benefits the people that you're working with. So I started, I didn't start off doing um, earlier stuff. I started off doing workshops with probably teenagers, actually. I remember going to 
got a place, was it the Kibble? Was it called in Paisley? And it was for young folk who weren't in school. Uh, and actually it was some children there are in a secure unit, so they're not in the community. So I had I went in there and that was the first experience of that kind of thing I had and I loved it. I just loved it. I think it's really important if you're doing that work to go in and everybody's on a label. That you're not going in thinking, well, they've done this or they've done that. We're actually just going in to share music. That's the same with any of these things that I'm working on. I remember going to my first mm-hmm. workshopy type thing in a, a, what do we call it, Corton Vale prison. And immediately it's like, I don't know about that. And you know, the, the first thought is, how do you, what happens? It's in a, in a prison. And it was, Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Same thing, you're going in, you're on a level, we're going to share music. That, that's the whole point about it. We're just going to work with people. We're not going to work with prisoners. We're going to work and share music with people, which is just such a great thing to do. So that initial, oh, I don't know if I can do this, became, are you daft? Of course you can do it. Anybody can do it. It's a, it's a really fortunate thing to be able to do. And I, I really, really, I really enjoy that kind of work. But no, to go back to your original question a hundred years ago, I did not think I was going to be doing that kind of work. It was never in my psyche. But that's not to say I didn't want to do that kind of work. Of course, when mm-hmm. it happened, mm-hmm. of course you do that because you don't become the big rock star. So you do have to, what, what is it we call it now? A portfolio career. Yeah. You have to fulfill that portfolio career. And I love it because as you pointed out earlier, it gives me that, that early year stuff right up to the, the older folk and it's it's a great wealth of um, experience and knowledge to, to bring to bear for me as a mm-hmm. as a sharer you know as a music as a musician mm-hmm. and I think as well I'm getting the sense that I mean obviously music's your job but it's a you know a way of being and a way of life and yeah. I think I'm getting the sense that it's important for you even if you didn't know what you would specifically do with music in the future that you the the important thing would be that it's something that you love to do you know it's important for you to love your work and your vocation and a hobby and you know all these things um it's I think that's quite a common thing amongst musicians isn't it that they need to enjoy what they do because it can often be quite challenging and when it's challenging, it's really challenging, but when it's it's great, it's really good, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think um yeah, yeah, you have to love it because if you didn't love it, then you wouldn't do it. It's very simple. Yeah. Uh, because if you didn't love it, you wouldn't be able to take those times where you haven't making lots of money or you haven't making enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't be able to to handle those alongside the times when you were making enough. You've picked a few things that we're going to speak about uh, that's been important to you um, throughout your career. Um, so this will maybe take us back to probably before you were touring and performing as a musician. Um, what's the first piece yeah. that you've picked that you're going uh, to speak about? When I was a wee girl, I was completely surrounded by music, whether I liked it or not. And as a consequence, I got a lot of stuff that I didn't like so much. I had, I've got four brothers and a sister. And uh, my big brothers used to listen to stuff that obviously are in there somewhere, but things like um, Ziggy Stardust, uh, Peter Frampton, all that kind of thing, that was on in their bedroom. 
my bedroom is the carpenters and Elton John. And a lot of that came from the, the, the music that was all around me. My auntie Anna used to babysit for my, my cousins and she would have me on to listen to Elton John. I remember she did one of these big old music centres, one of these big old brown music centres with a plastic top. And I really remember conducting my two lovely friends, Scott and Ireland, and, and singing um, uh, Benny and the Jets. I mean, what? Anyway, it was a brilliant time. And, and, and my parents had, my dad was all serious and Simon and Garfunkel. And my mum was, um, she went to see Gilbert Sullivan. And she came back with a glass that was, um, he had touched and they gave to her in the audience. It must have been in the Apollo or something. Mm -hmm. But I remember along the Gilbert Sullivan Gallery in Lyle, Fitzgerald, loads of music in the house. I remember listening to a Gilbert O'Sullivan, Gilbert O'Sullivan album. Couldn't remember the name of it, but there was a song in it called Matrimony. And I hadn't heard it for years. And maybe about 10 years ago, I discovered it. I rediscovered it, sorry. And I was singing away, we got to the one of the one of the verses, and I just started to sing a harmony. I was, duh, 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 duh. But there was no harmony on the, the track when I listened to it. And again, the the verse came back later. You and me are all in matters, disregard the rest. And there was still no harmony. And I was thinking, that's really weird. I must I must just have done that because I always remember my family singing harmonies, my mum and my auntie Betty, when they were we used to sing uh, in church and all that, and all the, the harmonies and stuff. So I think probably that was inbuilt, whether I liked it or not. Mm. But I got my mum in the car, I was giving her a lift somewhere, we went out for lunch or something. Maybe a month or so after I had rediscovered this Gilbert O'Sullivan album. And I was like, listen to this one, look, look what we've got, we're sitting in the car. And on came the this matrimony, and bam, at that verse, in came my mum with the harmony. No thought, no discussion. It was just, we, it, it was like I was eight again and mm. we were singing. It was a magical moment. I love it. I will ever remember that moment. So that Gilbert O'Sullivan, those, kind of, those kinds of songs really remind me that. And I still, every time I hear that harmony, I'm like, oh, mum. <laughs> so they were listening to music a lot. Was, was anyone in the house playing music? How did you get to playing an instrument? Well, do you know, I, I'm not sure because, well, I'm sure, but my brother's two, my, my two eldest, but my eldest brother, can he whistle and tune, God love him. <laughs> but <laughs> loves music, that was that was the um, Bowie guy. But anyway, Bowie and Queen was his thing. But my two brothers above me, Mark and David, used to play in tuba and trombone. Okay. That wasn't really my thing. They just had, were members of a brass band. But I remember being, I must have been about seven, and my mum and dad coming in the front door. I opened the door and my dad had his hands behind his back and they just kind of walked in all happy and chirpy. And my dad brought out a, an old acoustic guitar and it was like, we've got you this. So I don't know if I, I think I was probably, I know I was singing before mm -hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff in the house. And I think they probably just thought, oh, let's, get, let's see if Carol can learn something. Mm -hmm. which I couldn't, it was, I think, I think if you're seven years old, playing the guitar is a toughie. Um, and I'm not, absolutely not a, 
an accomplished guitar player or anything. I use it more as a notebook, you know, for for battering out chords for a song and stuff. But I did get into it at seven, but it was too sore. So mm -hmm. I left it aside. And then I remember at I get back into it when I was 12 and I started high school, secondary school, and the PE teacher <laughs> uh, took us, took some of us for guitar lessons at lunch times. I mean, that was the old days when teachers were able to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so he took us for guitar lessons and I think they learned three or five chords or something. And as a consequence of that, I then started to just learn lots of these songs. Home, home on the range, you know, really top-notch songs like that. <laughs> Actually, that's a great song. But, and that's really what I get into. And I remember my mum getting me a Beatles book. I wasn't really a Beatles fan. Don't tell me I said that. <laughs> but, um, and all, on the top of that, they had the chord, the tabs written out for the chords. So I was able to learn a lot more chords from that. So I suppose I, I, I basically taught myself very basic guitar. And I think if I had gone to guitar lessons, I might have been a better guitar player. But in saying that, it's not, it's not obviously not stopped me from being a singer-songwriter because that's my, my main instrument, well, apart from voice, guitar is my main instrument. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not that there was music all at our, you know, the Osmonds all around playing guitars or trombone or whatever. It was just, that's just how it happened. But I remember my mum used to have the Tuesday night girls and the Thursday night girls round. And she would always say, when I was a wee girl, she would always say, entertain your aunties. And I think she just meant go and get them a drink or a cup of tea or whatever. But I thought that meant sing to them. So I remember standing and singing to my aunties and they going. <laughs> <laughs> so I think probably that was why they got my guitar to shut her up. Anyway. <laughs> so how did you get from singing and playing the guitar and just being interested in music to writing your own things then? Well, I remember being chucked and I was in my bed greeting and um, my mum was sitting in my bed trying to come for me, God love her. And she said, you know, there's an advert in the paper and it was for a singer in a band. I didn't play the guitar for this particular gig, but it was the first band I joined. I had to go to all the way to Hamilton. I lived in Paisley, so I had to go all the way to Hamilton. <laughs> Two trains that was, you know. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. I went and answered this advert and joined a band. I think they were called, they were called Playing for Time. And as I say, I didn't play guitar then and whatever happened over the years. I mean, that was probably a short time, but then I went on to join other bands, sing in other bands, always, always as a singer, never as a guitar player. And I remember I, I, at one point, I joined a band in Eaglesham. The band was called This Perfect Heart. It was a great band. It had all brass sections and chandeliers in the stage. And I used to get all dressed up fancy. And it was great fun. I never, again, never, not playing the guitar at this point. The songs were smashing. And we did some great work in a, a studio in Edinburgh, Planet Studios, with a guy called Will Smart. He's a wonderful man. And I remember thinking, I, I would maybe want to try and write something there or maybe put a wee word in or what if the, the music went nah, 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 instead of nah, nah, nah. but nobody really mm. took me up and it's almost like that wasn't my thing to do so <clears throat> excuse me as 
playing for time and it's uh, this perfect heart split up over the years. I then started to just be a singer-songwriter on my own. And I found a lot of freedom in that. That's when I thought, I'm actually going to write what I want to write and sing what I want to sing. Not that I was being forced to sing anything, it was smashing stuff I was singing, but it was a real nice freedom to, to get to do mm-hmm. what I wanted, when I wanted. And as a consequence of that, I was able to get lots of really cracking gigs. Um, I started off just playing, do you know, actually now I can't really remember, but just playing in kind of folky pubs and stuff. And there was a time, in 1990 it was, there was a time when Glasgow became the era culture, the city of culture rather. And I had written a, I'd been chosen to write an anthem for it. And it was with them, um, Frankie Miller was one of the judges and stuff. So it was pretty high profile. And that was really good for my profile as well. But then I was only still ever playing as a solo artist, guitar, singer, songwriter. And then from that, I started to get people in regular music phoning up and saying, no, you need somebody to come and just slot in and do an opener for such and such. And I get some cracking gigs. And that gave me a lot of, obviously, confidence, but it also gave me a lot of um, more, more experience, but also more thoughts on how to how I'm going to put things together and write things. I was also listening to a lot of, of other music, obviously. I mean, I would always listen to music, but listening, seeing other musicians playing, which was really useful. I think as any musician, I'll always suggest to other musicians, other new musicians, that they go and listen and watch other people playing. So that was a really nice thing for me to, to be able to do. And I remember mm-hmm. the guys at regular phoned me one night and saying, um, Carol, a uh, transition vamp. I don't even know if you remember those guys, Laura, but it's just like oh, the most risky band. It was late 80s, early 90s. And the singer used to sing in a bra, which in those days was really amazing. But Transition Vamp had been held up in London. They couldn't get up to their gig in the Barrowlands. So they asked Carol Lola to go along and be another opener. Carol Lola, folky, bare feet, opening for Transition Vamp. O-M-G. What a laugh. So I wasn't one bit nervous, honest. But I'll tell you, it was brilliant because I remember being on the stage. It was stout, absolutely stout. And um, I was singing at it all. Getting by without you, all the kind of trauma of a folk artist. And I heard this guy about four rows in, steaming drunk. Aye, she's not bad actually, is she? (laughs) (laughs) It was really brilliant. (laughs) So so around about that time, I I was was then lucky enough to be playing lots of big gigs. There was that gig, but there was also the big day out in the Sterling, you know, big open air gigs and, you know, People invited me along to just sing and, and, and perform, which was magical. Mm-hmm. It was a really great time. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I then started to think about recording my own album and getting a band together with my own songs, which was a, a great way forward. Yeah. How do you, do you enjoy collaborating with other musicians then? You were speaking about how it's important to learn from other uh-huh. people, but how do you find it working in a band with oh, people? I shot myself in the foot there, haven't I? Um, (laughs) I enjoy working with other musicians I'm always, even now, still a wee bit embarrassed writing with other musicians 
And I think that might be because a wee bit of me goes, you're not good enough, Carol. And I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that as a musician. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But I've had, I've had few collaborations, but all have been fairly successful. Um, I remember mm -hmm. working with Jane Whedon from the Googles in uh, California, and it was a bit like, will we, won't we? Highlights, and it turned out great. A guy from a uh, Lone Justice, you know, sort of some really nice collaborations, writing wise. But it's not my preferred uh, way to write my own songs. I, I think I prefer to write on my own. Um, mm -hmm. But collaboration, playing wise and and performance wise, I just love. I don't think. I don't think I've had a bad experience of playing with someone because not only are you sharing a stage I always love to share a stage I don't like to now I think as I'm getting older I don't like to gig in my own I'm bored with myself you know I like to even just have somebody else on stage to to banter off but um mm -hmm. I like to watch other musicians every other musician I play with guitar wise is godlike a million times better than me obviously so I'm always going to pick a wee something else up. The other singers I work with, uh, Gwen Stewart or Pam Early, I, you know, I'm just listening to something they're doing. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to try that. You know, so I really, for, for, uh, on that level, collaboration, I love. And I love, now that some of the musicians I'm playing with are just, oh, obviously fantastic musicians. But I think, it, I think it transcends that a wee bit. It's almost like you have to be on a level, on a, a personal level. You have to have a, a relationship mm -hmm. rather than, I can play this guitar, look, actually, let's go and have a wee cup of chat, a cup of coffee and a chat. To me, that's more important, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. And when you're writing, do you think, are you thinking about writing songs for yourself and then adapting them to a band or are you thinking about people that might come in how, how does it work usually if I'm writing I'm writing for myself now um and when I play with a band I won't go in and say let's try a bass here let's try I'll just go in with the guys and say you know whomever that may be usually uh, Mark Correa I work with a lot just now um, I'll, and, and Stuart Kidd will just go into room and just play some new songs and try them and see how they sound. Maybe try this, maybe try that. Those guys will come up with ideas. So there's no real, I don't really have a structure for that when it comes to recording or, or okay. playing live. It's basically, I'll write a song. And this is the beauty of a song that I don't think it's enough exposure. If you've got a great melody and a great lyric then and great musicians around it, they'll play the way it has to be played. Mm -hmm. That sounds a bit um, hippy, but that, that's what I think. If you if you've got a good enough song and a good enough melody, then musicians are only going to enhance that. And I'm yeah. so fortunate that I've always been able to play with musicians that have got that nice, you know. They'll play a song rather than playing the guitar. We'll play a song. Does that make sense? It does, yeah, it does. I think, and I'll, uh, other people that I have chatted to have said that about other musicians bringing their mm -hmm. personalities in and bringing their own take on 
your music, which brings out things that you maybe wouldn't have Absolutely. thought of before and all that kind of thing. It's very, you know, collaborative and it kind of opens the door for yeah. new things to Absolutely. start. So I, I suppose there we're talking about how your work now is influenced by other people and other performers, mm -hmm. but one of the tracks that you've picked is something that influences what you do now, how your work is now. Um, so can you say a little bit about, about that, maybe? Julie Mitchell has always been on my shoulder. Um, I think everything you listen to influences what you do. Everything you hear, every bit of music, everything around you influences. Well, I know it does me. Um, mm -hmm. But Julie Mitchell is a constant intrigue for me. Her music... Is, is out, pretty outstanding for me. The lyric and the melody are inextricably linked. It's really difficult to sing a Joni song and it's really difficult to play a Joni track. In fact, probably her most popular is Big Yellow Taxi. That's probably her biggest seller, mm -hmm. you know. And that's a really fairly simple melody and, and chord structure. Little Green, which I know we're going to listen to, um, it's just such a difficult song to sing, but oh God, it's a song that just melts me every single time. And so I try to, when I'm, when I'm writing a song, I just try to have that wee bit of something that you can't quite reach. I, I don't mm -hmm. know how to explain that. But I suppose just to go back to the Joni thing. Somebody go after after you listen to this, go away and listen to Joni Mitchell and try and sing one of her melodies. It's really tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it sticks with me. I just love it. Is that some so you something that you return to a lot, all of Joni Mitchell's yeah, work? Yeah. You know, something that's always been around. Yeah, more, more the early stuff. I remember in my 21st birthday or something, someone got me um, blue, of course. But before that, uh, When Things Run Fast, that album was the one that got me right away. And I was like, oh, MG, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. I, I, just, I just love the less is more that Joni Mitchell has. You know, we've got a lot of the stuff going on just now, and, and I'm guilty of it as well, where we, everything's out in the open, everything's said, everything, nothing's implicit, everything's shown, and I just like the kind of, I'm going to have to dig in here if I want to get a wee bit more of that. Yeah, yeah, you feel, it's like what you're saying about getting at something, you feel like there's something mm -hmm. else there, and that's maybe why you go back to it time and time again, is to try and you know, you never quite grasp it, but yeah. it still feels like it could be within your reach. Well, I hope, I wish, I wish it could be within my reach. But more than trying to unpick it and trying to grasp it, quite often I'm happy just to listen, just to take it on. Because mm. I think there'll be something that will eventually work its way through me and come back out on the other, on the other side. I think, hope... Yeah. I can only, we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
it probably is true though because that's you know like you're saying everything around you is important and it influences the things that you do and so it, it will be working its way yeah. out there and in, in, in a meld of all the things that are influencing you at the time so. um yeah and you and we've already spoke a bit about you know book bug and your work with communities and things um but you and you work a lot with young people too and, and teaching them um and you've spoken about well you've you've said to me that you want to speak about dreams by fleetwood mac as something that you'd like these all i mean there must be so many people <laughs> that you work with to pass things on to but as something that you think it's really important that other people hear um, why did you pick that? I am working with young people and trying to instill a bit of confidence and a bit of enthusiasm and a bit of belief that they can do this. Now, we don't have to go through the whole history of the, the, the importance of a song such as Dreams. Um, what I love about it more than anything is that I can go to a young person and say, do you know that song Fleetwood Mac, which mostly they do, or they can find, and there are only two chords. And I can show them, there are more and more ways to do it, but they can, <clears throat> excuse me, they can basically play that song two chords without having to make it too difficult. So it's, your fingers can be in the same position and just move up two frets on the guitar. And I think that is really freeing for a lot of people who are starting, who are just trying. And I think, what a classic to be able to share. Yeah, yeah, so it's a great thing to be able to aspire yeah. to that and then to feel like you're you're playing it. And when I spoke to Richard Greer uh, weeks ago, he spoke about working with the students at the Academy of Music and Sound and how especially guitar players he his experience of it is that he finds that they just want to be able to experience a little bit of whatever it is that they find really inspiring in another guitar player like Jimi Hendrix or whoever yeah. it is you know just to be able to actively do that is really important to a young person and I suppose that's kind of the similar thing there that you're talking about because Fleetwood Mac seems like it's you know this unattainable thing yeah. almost you know it's so incredible and it's got all this you know stuff attached to yeah. it um and people think it's so important but yet you know you can get hold of a guitar and you know replicate what you hear a little bit which is just this is such a nice experience for a young I person. think it's I think it's it's uh, absolutely um, invaluable for a young person to mm -hmm. go oh look oh look all I have to do in front of me is have the words for that song and I can play it Imagine what that does for inspiring confidence. Just think it's brilliant. Yeah. And it's it's a great yeah. song and it's an easy song to 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 play on guitar anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like a great place to to leave it as some if you're passing something on to other people. So thank you so much, Carol. I really appreciate you taking the thank time you. to chat to me today. It's an absolute lovely. pleasure, and I'm sure I talk too much, but promise <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Amplified with Carol Lawler. Visit Carol's website at carollawler.co.uk to find out more about her work 
and follow her on Twitter at Carol Lawler. And one final thing to mention is that the music you can hear playing in the background is by Richard Greer. <laughs>